Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 162 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is March 21st, 2011. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. Spring football starts tomorrow. Everyone is excited to USC spring football on Tuesday. We've got a lot of previews about what's going on with spring football in this episode of the podcast. We're going to talk with Coach Harvey Hyde, what he thinks we're going to see out there and answer some of your questions about NCAA playoff system for college bowls and all kinds of stuff. So we got to get to all of that this week on the podcast. And we have Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. He's going to join us and talk with us all about what's been going on. Coach, how are you? Hey, Ryan. Thank you very much. I'm doing great, buddy. It's uh, been rainy. It's been wet. And I hope it doesn't bother USC's morning practices, uh, Ryan, for the first time as, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know how long or often they've done it in the past. Spring practice on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7.30 a.m., huh? It's kind of crazy, but uh, Lane Kiffin actually enjoyed the fact that they had that um, last year late in the season. Uh, I think there was some finals conflict or something along those lines, and they did some morning practices, and he liked the way that worked out, so that's what they're doing here. Well, you know, there's a lot of people that do that. The University of Oregon did it the entire year last year, and it worked out. And some people try it and like it. It gives it the players the entire afternoon off, in most cases, to go to classes and labs and so on, and they come back and have their meetings. But you can't really have meetings uh, before practice, so you have to come back and have and look at videos of the practice. And they probably like that as far as uh, having a little bit more time for the practice but uh, and, uh, and getting your game plan ready. But me, I, I like to sort of – I don't like early morning practices. What I mean by that, if, if it's raining and you can't organize it or whatever, how do you get to the players to tell them we're not practicing today? They're already up. They're already at school. So um, – and if you get, there's an accident on the freeway, I, I don't know. A lot of coaches might be late to practice, but if they like doing it, that's his program. That's what they're going to do. So it doesn't make any difference with you and I, I think. That's true. It never does. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to uh, thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. Uh, SETickets.com is the website, or give them a call, 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. You don't need tickets to USC Spring Football, actually, because it is closed to the public, unfortunately. But Coach and I will definitely be out there. Members of the media will be out there. So we'll be out there giving reports of what's going on. Next week, we'll have uh, Coach Harvey Hyde giving his thoughts of what happened during the first week of practice. Uh, There will be tickets for the spring game, though, uh, on April 23rd. So if USC fans want to see this team, what's been going on in spring football, uh, April 23rd at the Coliseum will be the place to go you got to check that out. And uh, we'll see, Coach, once we hear from the NCAA, maybe the, you know, with the appeal and that's kind of behind everything, maybe USC will change their stance and, and open up practices again. Well, I think they should, uh, Ryan, because, you know, uh, I think just keeping people away, you know, if someone wanted to get to the student athlete or, or so on, they wouldn't do it at practice anyway. And people know who's going to be there and so on. So it's basically boosters, family, friends, players, kids that want to watch the USC team work out, uh, I think they ought to open it up. And, and I don't know if the NCAA really cares on whether they're closing practices or not. Uh, you know, they're having enough uh, problem with Ohio State and some of these other schools that they probably have uh, called uh, USC situation a minor, minor uh, violation. So uh, I don't know. I, I just think that they should open it up allow people to come on there uh, out in the fields. Uh, yeah, if they want people to sign in, you can do that. I know they're doing that at almost every university now. I was up at UNLV Spring Ball the other day, and you had to sign in and show an ID and all this and that. I think it's a way of sort of having record of who attends your practice and, and so on. But I think, uh, you know, at USC, I think your players practice better. They practice harder. You have people watching them. 
So, you know, I, I don't know what they're achieving by not uh, opening them, opening up the practices. I agree 100%, Coach. It really wasn't a problem with things that were happening at practice, but there was just kind of an overreaction. And, you know, it's understandable, but hopefully now they can take a step back and, and allow some of those, you know, alumni and fans to be on the, the sidelines who've been on it for years and really enjoy it. And uh, we got a bunch of questions, though. I wanted to, if you have any questions for us, you can always email podcast at uscfootball.com. Or give us a voicemail. Leave us a voicemail. 206-888-6755. That number is 206-888-6755. You leave us a voicemail. We can play your voicemail on the podcast. And we have one of those right now, Coach. It's about the NCAA and a potential playoff. Here you go. Yeah, my uh, question is for Coach Harvey Hyde. Um, the NCAA president recently was talking about um, you know, helping with a playoff system. And since they're so stubborn about the Bulls and keeping them, I was just wondering why they don't keep the Bulls and then have uh, the four BCS Bulls. Those teams would go on, so there essentially would be two more games and then a national championship after those um, two games. So I was just wondering why they don't do that. That way they can keep all the Bulls and keep everyone happy. All right, thanks. Bye. Well, you know, I think eventually they will have a plus-one game plus one, I call it, where you have all the bowl games that are in place and then you have one additional game. And what what's going to force that to happen is the amount of money that can be generated from that one game. Uh, when the administrators look back and some TV network tells them what they can get for that one game and so on, I think they're going to have it. I think that money will be distributed among all Division I college football teams. What I mean by that. I don't think they're just going to give that one-plus game revenue to the conference those teams are from or, or, or whatever. I think it'll be a game that will distribute the money throughout Division I college football. That way you'll get a unanimous vote from all of the Division I administrators to have this game. Now, right now the administrators in college football aren't in favor of any one-plus game or a playoff. They're in favor of the current bowl game situations. So personally, I think there are too many bowl games myself. Why do you reward a team that's six and five? I mean, I just don't think that if you win six football games, that's a great season to go on to a bowl game. I, myself, I think that uh, 34 bowl games. I currently, I think I, there are that's 68 teams going to bowl games. That's at least half of the number of, the number of teams that are playing Division One college football. Yeah, more than half. A ridiculous. <laughs> more than half. Yeah, Ryan, more than half, but why? It obviously uh, generates uh, revenue. Uh, ESPN is tying up a lot of these bowl games and packages and so on, and I think down the road, I tell you guys this now, but you probably heard me talk about it before, I think eventually you're going to have to buy the BCS bowl game package, which means you're going to have to pay 150 bucks or whatever like you do the NFL package to get the BCS bowl games. It's going to be a way of generating more money and you know what espn kind of more bowl games you might have to if you want the complete bowl package as many bowl games as they now feature you might have to pay more to buy those games because i think that's where the money's going like last year they moved the rose bowl to espn uh less viewers but more revenue because of the amount of money that was generated through people who uh, continue to buy cable systems and so on. So uh, I don't think there's going to be a playoff. I don't think they'll have four teams that go to that. They they currently like what they're doing. Uh, they'll generate more money. Like this year, the Pac-10 will be going to a championship game. Other teams will be going to championship games. Mostly all the BCS bowl games now have champion or bowl. Uh, BCS conferences have bowl. Uh, championship games in Mount West Conference. When they get Nevada and Fresno State in there, they're going to have a championship game. So, you know, it's all revenue. It's all revenue-driven, and that's what eventually will will create that one-plus game. I don't know if they'll have two games, but I think they'll have one game that will generate somewhere around $200 million where probably each school – uh, will receive about a million dollars from the gates of that television package, and that game will probably be played, probably be played somewhere maybe the off week of the Super Bowl. When the Super Bowl has a break uh, 
as they do before they have the Super Bowl, that'd be a great time to have the college playoff game, one plus one. But that's a long season for these kids. Believe me, look, we're already in college football now. Some teams are finishing up spring football already. They just finished playing January. Some games were what? January the 10th, I think, this past year the championship game was. So it's a lot of football, a lot of workout, a lot of spring practice, a lot of offseason, a lot of academics that these young kids have to do uh, to perform and, and have all these games. But it's all revenue-driven, and uh, eventually I think that might happen, but not for a while, not for a long time. Well, we'll see. And uh, I think the interesting part about the whole thing is that people want some kind of NCAA basketball tournament-style deal. Uh, well, guess who gets all the revenue from that? That's the NCAA. So if, if if football went to that, it would make more money for the NCAA. And I, I think a lot of people aren't really happy with what the NCAA is doing with all their money right now. No, I agree with you. And they're, they're not going to go to that type of format. They just can't go to that type of format. They've got too much tradition in all these bowl games and so on. And kids wanting to go and play in the Rose Bowl. And, you know, I was I was speaking in an event the other day, and you probably heard me talk about it on this segment before. The national championship game, BCS college football game, every year should be played in the Rose Bowl. It's where when a young kid grows up, someday always wanted to play in the Rose Bowl, or no matter what conference you're in. I don't care where you're from. And it's the only college football stadium left that hosts a BCS football game the Rose Bowl, and they're redoing it now. I was over there last Tuesday or Wednesday for an event. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. I saw the new suites, the new seats, the new everything that they're doing. Uh, they have a sales office over there. They've sold 18 of their 54 suites and, and the new press box. It's going to be absolutely fabulous, and I think that that's where college football history is, and I think that's where the BCS championship game should be every year, in a college football stadium with that type of tradition, with the two top teams in the country playing for the national championship after the Rose Bowl game instead of moving it around like they do now. That'll be interesting, Coach. We'll see. Well, I mean, it's going to be slow, so the changes will be slow, but I think we will. I agree with you, Coach. We'll get some changes over the next, I don't know, decade or so. Hopefully it doesn't take that long, but it could. Um, we got some football 101 stuff. Josh wrote in, and he says he bleeds Cardinal and Gold football, and like most people, doesn't really know too much about the X's and O's. Just want to say I love the football 101 sessions with the old coach. Keep them coming. So props to you, coach. And uh, I thought today maybe we could talk about the, the linebacker position a little bit. And, you know, USC runs normally with three linebackers. So you have a a middle or a Mike and a, a Will linebacker or a weak side and a, a Sam linebacker or a strong side. So there's kind of some buzzwords that have already been thrown out there. Maybe talk about when a team plays with three linebackers, what the what the differences are and, you know, what kind of player makes a better will linebacker as opposed to a Sam linebacker, things like that. All right, I'd be happy to. Uh, let's take uh, USC's defense because that's the defense that you're going to watch most of the time if you're a USC football fan, plus a lot of other teams run the identical, identical defense too. The linebackers are, are the key to your defense. They're supposed to make most of your plays. What I mean by that, they should lead your team in tackles because they're back off the ball, they're reading certain keys and so on, they're flowing the gaps, they're pursuing, they're blitzing a lot and so on. And your middle linebacker should be your key guy. Why? Your best player, your best linebacker plays in the middle because that means he's in the middle of each play that happens. Plays start in the middle and work their way out, and they work themselves right or left. So you want your best tackler, your strongest, studliest person playing in the middle because he has a chance to react to more plays from being in the middle. If you're one side or the other, you're too far away from the other side to make all the plays. So you put your guy in the middle that runs the defense. He knows all the defense. He's a football guy. You'll see that's where Singletary, Butkus, that's, that's where all these guys play. They play in the middle. And they're tough nose. Uh, they don't have to be quite as fast as uh, other uh, linebackers, like the Will linebacker and so on. They don't play much uh, coverage except possibly on the tight end at times. And and they play zone a lot, but you don't match them up man-to-man much. So 
You want this guy to be a plugger and a tough guy. Doesn't have to run that well, but he's got to know football. He's got to have instinct. What I mean is he's got to have a feel of where the football's going. He's usually the guy that's got five broken noses and bleeds from the nose and loves to put his face in there and make tackles and so on. He's the guy that gets off the bus first or you send out for the coin flip because people look at him because he's intimidating. That's where he plays. Now, on the strong side, you've got a guy there that's got great athletic ability. He's the larger of the will. He's bigger than the will linebacker. Why you put him to the strong side because he's a guy that's going to see more power type of plays. He's going to see the toss plays. He's going to see the off-tackle plays. He's going to have to be able to plug and cover. He's got to do a little bit of both. So he's got to be a physical kid, plus he's got to be a kid that can cover on pass. So, you know, you don't like a short kid there. You'd like to have a taller type of kid there that can see, that runs pretty good, doesn't have to be your fastest linebacker, but really he's got to be quick and have great instincts, not as much as your hard-nosed guy in the middle, but he's got to be a guy that can read well and step into his gap, play his gap, tackle well, run in the the right areas, pursue well uh, down the line of scrimmage and 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 keep blockers away from his feet. He cannot be chopped down, have a good feeling of what what he's facing and be a good cover guy too. So he's a little bit different. Not a, he's not a hard-nosed guy. He's hard-nosed, but not like your middle linebacker. So he, he's, he's a guy that's, that reads the tight end well when people block down and they pull their offside guard or so, and he's got to be able to step up into that hole and knock that guy back or plug that hole. The will linebacker is more of a cover guy, too. He's faster. You blitz him a lot. In a lot of situations, you play a lot of man with him coverage on – on certain positions, especially backs out of the backfield, because you like to keep your free safety free. You don't want your free safety to have to play a guy man. So uh, your will linebacker is more of a pass type of coverage guy. He's got to be your fastest linebacker, at least I would think in my defensive skin, skill or schemes, your fastest guy and probably your smartest guy, not, not that the middle linebacker isn't smart, but a guy that you can use in different ways of being able to put him into coverages. He's going to he's going to have to stop the run. Don't get me wrong. He's going to have to be a top, but he's going to have to be as physical. He's got to have more speed to chase down plays from the backside, pursue well along the line of scrimmage, and get all the cutback plays. That means when you see plays going away and you see back stopping and cut back, well, he's got to have a guy, he's got to be a guy that has instinct that doesn't over-pursue the play. How many times have you seen a linebacker do go down the line of scrimmage, the back goes into the line of scrimmage and breaks it all the way back to the outside and runs back down the other side of the field because the offside or will linebacker has what? Over-pursued the play. So he's got to go down the line of scrimmage and watch and not over-pursue the play. So he's got to be a good player. He's got to be able to watch the backside. He's got to be able to take his gap, yet, he probably has more coverages than any other uh, linebacker as far as talking or working with your free safety on man coverages and also with your X out there, dropping him to the flat and doing different things in coverages. So I, would, I think I broke it down. The middle guy is your tough guy that has football instincts. Your strong side linebacker doesn't have to be a, uh, as physical as your middle linebacker, but he's got to be able to do more things in the middle linebacker as far as in coverages. And the wheel linebacker's got more pass coverage responsibility and cannot allow cutback flow plays to come back against the grain where these great backs read it and then cut back because the defenses have over-pursued. So I think that uh, that sort of breaks down the linebackers. They all got to be great tacklers. They cannot be guys that block people down. They've got to tackle. You see so many people that try to block people down rather than tackle people. You've got to be able to wrap up, tackle people, and bring them to the ground with the momentum not driving them backwards and giving the extra yard. So I think that sort of breaks down the linebackers because they've got to have run def- uh, uh, responsibility as well as pass responsibility. No, it's great stuff, Coach. And I think one of the things that can be confusing at times is when you're thinking strong side or weak side, you're normally, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, you're normally thinking about the tight end side. So if you have a strong side linebacker, 
he's probably where the tight end is. And like you said, they right. could run power there. But he has to be able to cover that tight end as well, even though you think of the will linebacker as more of a coverage guy. If the strong side linebackers, he would have coverage responsibilities too if the tight end isn't just staying in a blocking. He's going out for, for, for a pass. Yeah, he'll have a zone. He won't. You know, you don't like to play him man on the tight end very often because these guys uh, are pretty physical. But you can double team a tight end with a strong safety, and uh, it's uh, with also a middle linebacker too. But a strong side linebacker, depending where the wide side of the field is and what the routes are and the action and so on, can help on your coverages with tight ends. They certainly can. The flat routes, depending on if you're playing a lot of man coverage. You've got to be able to cover the flat routes too, because these wide receivers drive off, drive your uh, defensive backs off the ball, and then your flats are open. So you got to be really good tacklers and be able to pursue and make 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 plays. You got to make plays. You can't miss tackles. Linebackers have got to be your best tacklers on the field. And I don't think we saw a lot of that, the good tackling parts last year. And uh, you know, talking to some of these guys talking to Chris Gallipo, uh, talking to Joe Barry. It seems that the linebacker coach, USC linebacker coach Joe Barry, it definitely seems like these guys have a chip on their shoulder, and they know that they didn't perform up to you know, what the USC standards were, and it seems like there's something different going to be going on, and I think that's why spring ball will be really interesting to watch these linebackers and, and see how they perform. I agree with you. I think they, they didn't play up to what the, the level of linebacker play should have been last year. I think they should have a physical spring. I really do think I think they should have a physical spring. The only way you learn to play football is hit and play football. You can't play football walking through drills. Uh, I used to hit so much in the spring it was unbelievable. We never went. Now you have to have a day off and go shorts. I mean, our our spring practices were survival. Okay, if you survive spring, you're you made the team. If you didn't, you didn't want people to get hurt but you became a football player in the spring. You learned how to hit. You learned how to tackle. You learned how to block. And today you don't see as much of that, but you've got to do that to become a football player. Football player, the game is a physical football game. There are kids that are going to get hurt, but you've got to be able to develop them. And the only way to develop a football player is let him play football. All right. Well, we got we have another question here on the defenses that we talked about. I think it was last episode or the episode before and about which defenses work better against uh, spread offenses. So here is the question. This is Bill in Lake Forest, and this is a question for the coach, Harvey Hyde. Uh, Harvey, a few weeks ago you had talked about three different types of defense, one you called a 40 defense, a 50 defense, and then a 52 defense. The 40 was four, four defensive linemen with three linebackers. The 50 was three defensive line, uh, linemen with four linebackers. And the 52, you substituted a safety for one of the linebackers. Uh, and I guess my question is, what's the difference, or the first part of my question, I should say, is what's the difference between the 52 defense and the nickel defense and the dime defense? Is it just strictly the fact that uh, you have a safety in there instead of a, instead of a, a corner? Uh, instead of a corner? And um, I, so I, I, that's the first part of the question. The other question is, which of these defenses do you think is best, uh, or any of the defenses, which is best against the spread uh, the spread offense like Oregon runs? Uh, anyway, would appreciate an answer. Enjoy listening to the podcast a whole lot. Thanks. Bye. Well, thank you very much. Uh, uh, first of all, let's start with uh, uh, the difference between a, a fifty defense, or fifty and a fifty-two defense, and a, and 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 what they do. Yeah, basically you take out one of your linebackers or defensive ends, and 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 make uh, you bring in a safety so that that safety's a better cover for you, and he's a better athlete. Let's say he can run better in, in a passing situation, or maybe all the time you play this defense against a threat off, spread offense. Uh, the 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 nickel defense is basically the same thing. You're bringing in a, an extra defensive back to replace a safety. The dime defense is you're bringing in two defensive backs, and you bring in more or less physical defensive backs that that could make tackles on run plays if necessary, but they're better, better cover guys. So what you're doing is you're cutting down the zones, the passing. You go to a dime when it's third and 15 or whatever it might be, third and 20, 
Well, you know they're going to throw the football, yet if they do run the football, they run a screen, or if they run a draw, they run something. You've got people that can come up there and, and make a hit on somebody. So, uh, you know, it depends on what you're playing, wide side of the field. You've got to be able to cover certain receivers, uh, maybe double cover their best receiver and so on. But today when you spread the field, what they're doing by spreading the field in these spread defenses like Oregon and so on, they're spreading the field with great receivers with great team speed. So you've got to be able to match their team speed. You've got to be able to match it with players that can do the same thing. It's not a, not a real fancy offense, really, the spread offense, the Oregon offense. It isn't. They don't have a whole lot of plays. What they do is execute them well. If you, if you come up to, to make the play on the option, they're going to break the post route behind your safety and hit the big play. They just watch it. And they, they know you have to utilize your safety people to make plays on the run. Now, what, what stops that uh, option uh, and Oregon's offense and teams like Oregon's offense, the, probably the best is to be physical up front where they never get it started. What I mean is you take away the option portion of their back, like James and these guys that are running into the inside. They just don't have it. You're driving their offensive guards back into the backfield where they don't have the option. So now you've created one less thing you have to worry about because your defensive line can handle that portion of the game, and that's what Auburn did to Oregon this year. If you remember, they did have success running the ball, but not inside. They they did. They had to go back to their outside option game and so on. And and uh, they played Auburn to a to a good football game. It was a great game. But Auburn was too physical for them inside. So you try to match them. I would think with with athlete against athlete. It's a very difficult thing to do when you spread the field. When you have great athletes and you know what you're doing and you're precision at what you're doing and you watch what you do. And if you do this, I do that. If you stop this play, I'm going to run this play. And you run them over and over and over and over and you become very familiar with where your guy's going to be on every play. And you learn to read the defenses when you're a quarterback and back where you have the confidence that that your handoff is going to be there. If the tackle comes up the field, you give the ball. If the tackle comes down the field, you pull the ball out and you keep the ball as a quarterback and you run option outside. It, 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 is, it is hard to explain because there's, there's options off of every series that they have and there's passes off of every series that they have. They don't have a lot of series. They might, but they run them from a lot of different formations with different actions such as motion and so on. So they keep you thinking all the time and try to confuse you, yet they execute them perfectly. They run the same place over and over and over from different formations uh, and, and different actions that, that they look like they're different plays, but they're actually the same plays, just run differently. And the pass routes are the same pass routes. They just come off of different actions. So uh, to, to say how you stop Oregon, I wish I could tell you. Uh, I think just with better players, otherwise, uh, and keep the ball away from them. The best way to stop a team such as Oregon is ball control. They don't have the ball because they can score so fast. And SC's been able to do that at times. SC's played the first half against these guys pretty good. Last year they played the first half, but then they couldn't generate. And they on their third down conversions a year ago, and when Oregon came in the second half against SC, they just – they, they just change the game around. So you can't make mistakes. You've got to be consistent on offense. You've got to have ball control because Oregon is going to get their points. And that's why a lot of great skilled players are deciding to go there now. But, you know, you've got to get great skilled players on defense. Too. Defense wins championships. I agree with you, Coach. And if they, you know, a little bit beefier play from the defensive line, and I think you can do a lot better against the spread attack, and we saw Farley and, and Auburn do exactly that. So uh, we'll see. I think, you know, give uh, Coach Orgeron a couple years, and uh, they'll get some of these guys in here. And speaking of one of those guys is uh, Delvon Simmons. We're going to talk about him in the next segment. we got a lot of questions about him, the kid that signed with North Carolina and wants out of his letter of intent. So we're going to talk about that in the next segment and do some more spring football preview with uh, Dan Weber from USCfootball.com. But, uh, so stay tuned for that. But – Coach, we're going to let you go and uh, hanging out on a rainy Catalina Island. Thanks for joining us, and we'll uh, talk to you again next week. 
Well, thank you very much. And I'll tell you, Farley's a great player. I'll tell you, I, I really like the way he plays. He's a JC type of kid. He's a hard-nosed type of kid. And if they could get a couple of kids like that, SC, don't worry about what defense you run. Okay? <laughs> All right. Well, sure thanks again for joining us, everyone else. We're, we're back in 30 seconds talking more USC football. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk some more USC football. We have uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber, who's gearing up for a 7.25 a.m. spring practice bright and early tomorrow morning. Dan, how are you? Very good. Uh, We were just trying to gauge how how light it's going to be. Daylight savings gives you that extra time to play softball at night, I guess, but uh, uh, it's not necessarily geared to giving you more daylight in the morning. Uh, <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to see what that uh, what that actual light uh, situation is at 7:25 in the morning. We were we were over there at six, and it, uh, for winter workouts, it's definitely not light at light at six, even uh, before daylight savings. So uh, we'll see. It's going to be interesting. Uh, and and I'm guessing by the end of uh, with five weeks of practice, uh, it'll be nice and light by uh, you know by the end of April. So it's kind of going to be an interesting. Uh, uh, I, I'm thinking dynamic as the uh, the light situation changes in the early morning from now till five weeks from now. Well, I'm just hoping it doesn't rain because it's it's been pouring the last two days here, and uh, it's. I wonder what the field is going to look like too. They might even have to practice on. Cromwell or something, just because the field is so wet. Oh, that was the and that was the case when they did it uh, in the uh, bye week. Uh, remember, it rained like crazy uh, the whole bye week, I think, and uh, we ended up on uh, Cromwell uh, in the fall uh, in bye week. Uh, practices actually went pretty pretty well, but uh, you don't you're not going to do much hitting uh, there. And and they've laid down a new turf. Uh, they really, uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm real impressed with. Uh, with the uh, the new turf on the uh, uh, you know on Howard Jones, uh, they've really done a nice job. Uh, so I would think they probably wouldn't want people on the brand new turf uh, tomorrow just to guess. But right, uh, we'll you, get, see. you put the new turf down and it rains straight for two days. I don't think the ideal thing is to get out there and have a hundred guys running all over it. No, especially as as good as that turf looks. Uh, I think it's the best that I can remember uh, seeing. Uh, you know, in a, the last nine, ten years, uh, it, it really looks good. So uh, I, I'm thinking they're going to want to keep that uh, the way it is. So we'll see. But, yeah. yeah. Well, we got uh, you did some and, great. Uh, figure out which field they're on. Yeah. Well, you've done some great position previews. If you want to check out uscfootball.com over the last five or six days, Dan's been putting up these spring spring previews, position by position. I think we have uh, one more left, or one or two more left, Dan. One more, yeah. We got the offensive line for tomorrow, and kind of an overview, uh, sort of a uh, my uh, weekly column. We'll take a look at at the things we'd like to see happen this spring, uh, and you know which way where we where we'd like to go with this team, where we'd like to see them in five weeks, going into the summer. So uh, sort of a, a two-parter. But the offensive line first, and then uh, then we'll have a kind of a look ahead as here's how we'd like to see uh, this year's. Having last year's as a gauge, this, uh, like the, and then then the fall season, uh, where we'd like to see him uh, uh, head uh, this uh, this spring. Okay, and then uh, definitely check out our Spring Ball Central page. Will go up tomorrow morning as well. That'll have links to everything cool that we did over the winter, all the content we put up, videos, photos, interviews, stories, analysis, all that stuff, and then every day of spring football, all the stories and videos and everything that goes up, we'll have it on one page. We call it Spring Ball Central. We do one for fall camp as well. So that'll be a, it's a free page. You can just bookmark it and check back. And every time there's new stories, we, we upload them to that page. So 
check those out. We'll have all the position previews. We'll have our 10 of Troy, who are top 10 guys to watch uh, for USC spring football. So that's a great page to kind of check out as a resource. And obviously, uscfootball.com, we do all kinds of stuff for spring football. You can check it all out. And Dan, you've been a, a big part of it. I'm looking forward to the, the offensive line preview now. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, and I did uh, uh, kind of a pre- uh, portrait of uh, John Martinez, and I think uh, uh, I think it really went to the heart of, w- of what we're going to see with this offensive line as to uh, you're not going to see uh, many of these, you know, 330-pound guys other than the, uh, uh, Mr. Walker, the freshman, coming in, but uh, they're clearly going, uh, uh, you know, mirroring the backfield. They're going to have a smaller backfield, you know, where you basically replace – uh, Alan Bradford with the you know guy who's 50 pounds lighter and DJ Morgan, and uh, you know we're going with you're going with quickness with uh, with Dylan Baxter and uh, it was clear Mark Tyler was uh, much more effective at 215 216 pounds so it's clearly going to be a kind of a different you know look a quicker backfield uh, doing quicker stuff and they really want the offensive they're asking these guys to be they'll probably be the smallest offensive line. Uh, smaller than any offensive line, uh, you know, they face all year. Uh, they're, uh, you know, I mean, uh, uh, in a lot of places, a kid like Matt Khalil, who's, you know, closing in on six foot eight, would probably, you know, be 325, 330 pounds, and he's, you know, under 310, and he'll be by far, you know, the biggest guy out there. Uh, and uh, it's interesting, uh, they're really emphasizing, I mean, I think they've always wanted quickness and, uh, good footwork and uh, explosiveness off the ball. And I think they're going back real hard in that direction, which is why uh, I think it really helps a guy like uh, uh, John Martinez, who, who does move well. Uh, he's kind of matured into, you know, now, he, and, you know, he bench pressed uh, uh, 225 pounds, 33 reps, which would have put him second on the, uh, if he just showed up at the NFL Combine this year uh, among offensive linemen. So, some of the things you're, you know, and, and Matt Khalil bench press 31 with those big long arms, uh, it's a terrific job. So it looks like the winter weight program and the just the, you know, the work that the, the kids themselves are putting in. Uh, you know, there might not be a lot of numbers, but it looks like they're very, very serious about uh, about what they want to do. So it's going to be interesting to see. For sure, yeah. And then uh, so you, you talked about you know the the running backs being a little bit smaller, the offensive line being a little smaller. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens at the receiver position. Uh, Kyle Prater would have been great to see coming back there. Obviously, he's going to be out either the whole spring or, or a good portion of it. But you know, still some good young talent there, and some and some veteran talent like a Brandon Carswell, who you know could who could break out and have a big year. Well, yeah, I mean, for example, you've got basically three guys in that position of you know guys who've been here. Guys who've got a chance to step in, uh, you know, uh, and be opposite uh, Robert or, uh, you know, press Robert Woods and, and, and Devon Flournoy, Marquise Ambles, and, uh, uh, you know, Brandon Carswell. So, you, so that'll give them more chance, uh, and, and they've all looked good in, uh, you know, in winter. I think, I think the situation with Kyle is we know what he can do. What you would like to see him back in spring is to see what they're going to do with him. Uh, I think mean, to me, I find it more interesting to see what what is uh, Lane Kiffin's vision of the offense. What is uh, you know what are the coaches seeing as to how the parts go together? Uh, and that wasn't something that maybe always happened as smoothly as as you would have liked uh, in the fall, uh, with uh, maybe more changes week to week to week and game planning and things like that than maybe. Uh, uh, seem to you know work smoothly and all of that, and you would like to see develop maybe in the spring a kind of a philosophy. This is who we are. This is how we play the game. This is what we do, uh, and we're going to do it better than you can stop it. And uh, so uh, that's one of the you know one of the things you'd like to see Kyle there because there were I mean I think last year people thought uh, we're going to see Jordan Cameron for example. Uh, show some of the stuff he showed at the NFL Combine in terms of route running and catching the ball and all that. Now he did come down and you know get got banged on his head, you know one time. And uh, uh, but probably I think if you had to look back at the you know the fall and say what are some of the things we didn't get done uh, if I'm USC saying we uh, 
throwing the ball to a big six five you know receiver with good hands who can't, who uh, who can really jump and catch in the crowd is something they didn't get done last year. Can they get it done this year? I think that's one of the reasons you'd like to see a Kyle on the field with them. No, I agree. And uh, one other thing on the receivers before we let you go, uh, on, well, let's move on to the next topic. Uh, Ryan had a question. Do you think Marquise Lee is going to play offense or defense when he shows up in the fall? And he, he came out this winter and was playing mostly receiver, but where did, where did you see him going on there? I know he won't be here until the spring. I mean, he won't be here until the fall. He won't be here in the spring, but what do you think about Marquise Lee? Well, I, I mean, I think clearly he wants to play receiver, and I think clearly they want to give him a chance to, you know, do what he wants to do. Uh, you know, and they've got numbers in both positions. I think it'll be determined to some extent, uh, you know, by need. Uh, I think he would be a candidate to be a really good player who you give another year to, uh, where, and maybe they'll take a look at him, you know, both ways. Uh, and then it'll be determined by, you know, personnel uh, needs, you know, or injuries or what have you. But I wouldn't want to, I mean, it's obvious he wants to, uh, Start out as a wide receiver, and I think they're going to, you know, accommodate that unless something really unusual happens. I, I would think it would be hard to come in and play safety um, right off the bat without any spring ball. As a true freshman, that would be a very, that'd be a very big leap. I, I think it's easier to come in and play a wide receiver as a freshman uh, than to come in and play a safety. So, uh, but with with him, I would think they would probably uh he'll get a chance to do both things uh but but starting out as a wide receiver okay and then uh maybe the last part of the offense we can talk about we'll switch over to defense your preview was pretty much it was all about matt barkley when you talk about quarterback but there's some interesting battles behind matt barkley to be the backup to matt barkley well i think uh and, and matt you know you talk to matt and that's what he talks about you know somebody's got to be the backup and it'll be somebody who's never thrown a pass in a game uh before uh you know they've got eight quarterbacks seven of them <laughs> have never thrown a, a pass in college so uh uh and the guy i would think obviously whoever uh you know kind of wins the battle and you have to think it's uh you know redshirt freshman jesse scroggins versus the two incoming freshmen who are uh you know cody kessler and max Wittick, both with distinctly different styles uh, and both top five quarterbacks nationally and all of that. Uh, whoever uh, emerges, I think, is the winner in that uh, situation, obviously puts himself as the uh, the leader to succeed Matt Barkley, when, you know, whether Matt goes, uh, you know, the full four years or, uh, or, or leaves early. Uh, somebody's going to be that next guy. And so it, I think it's it's a critical and very interesting uh, three-way uh you know, battle, and that they're all here in the spring makes it, you know, even more interesting. But it'll be one of those kind of under-the-radar uh, battles in a way, and it'll be interesting to see how do you uh, structure, you know, reps and, and all the kind of things, uh, you know, for essentially four quarterbacks uh, and how do they, uh, you know, how they make those decisions. And, and they're, all, they're all, you know, distinctly different, and not just the two freshmen, but the, uh, Jesse Scroggins as well. Each of them has uh, his own kind of, uh, you know, unique style, and uh, uh, it'll be real interesting. To, uh, I mean, it'll be something uh, you're going to want to watch every day in practice because it'll be fun, uh, fun to watch how that develops. True. Um, all right, well, let's go to the defensive side of the ball, and maybe we could start with the secondary. Well, I think, you know, I think what they – obviously, T.J. McDonald does everything. I mean, he just has become a leader – He's, uh, he's, you know, he's starting to sound like uh, the guys that you wanted in the past, you know, you wanted to return to, uh, uh, you know, Lofa Tatupu and, and Troy Palomalu and uh, uh, Matt Grudegood and those guys. Uh, he's starting to sound like that. Uh, he sounds a lot like it. And uh, I think he's, uh, you know, he really wants this team to be good and he wants to be good. And, uh, and there, you know, as he said, I want to be the guy they all want to be in the auto with. And uh, he sets some really uh, high standards. And, and if you watch him out there in, in winter workouts, he does everything. I mean, he, you know, from throwing the ball to catching it to running, uh, you know, every pattern that you can run and defending it and doing everything that, that, that can be done. He's a, uh, 
you know, great tackler. He he's decided he's right. USC's defense, the secondary especially, has to start becoming playmakers again. They've got to make plays. That was what was missing. And he said, you know, he admits, he himself, uh, there were times when they played it safe or they didn't know exactly what they were supposed to be doing and all of that. And it got to, I love the idea that the secondary sits together in the film room, and this is voluntary stuff. They're doing it on their own, and they make the calls the calls that last year often didn't get made or didn't get understood or didn't get heard, and you'd have half the defense in the secondary playing one defense and half of them playing something else and some guys running loose, and you're thinking, what? You know, nobody's, uh, what are they in? Well, they didn't know. Uh, the fact that they sit there, watch film from last year, and they all make the calls together loud uh, sounds great. I mean, I just think that's a, a terrific idea and a terrific way to go. And uh, I think the other thing that has to happen is Nikel Roby has to step up to be that confident, you know, second-year starter, lockdown corner who really uh, just can take somebody out of the game. Uh, he's He seems much more mature this year. He's bigger. I guess he's gained nine pounds already. So he, he was playing at 160 last year. So And he's challenging <clears throat> D.J. Morgan uh, for the fastest guy on the team. So, uh, he certainly looks like uh, he's got that ability to be the lockdown corner. So that gives you a safety in a corner. And when you look around, there's a whole lot of bodies lining up for the safety spot. There's a whole lot of guys lining up for the, uh, you know, for the corner, uh, that other corner spot. You know, from the, the red shirt guys you didn't see, like Deion Bailey, uh, you know, at safety and a sort of a hybrid uh, uh, kind of outside linebacker position, Rover against uh, spreads uh, from uh, Anthony Brown as a, as a new guy uh, at corner. Uh, they've got a lot of numbers. They've got the numbers. They've got some guys that have been around for a few years, and then they've got these kind of brash guys who maybe think they didn't get a chance last year and would really like to show what they could do. So uh, that'll be a re- – I mean, that position battle, because they know there's two sp- starting spots. You know, you might say, well, you know, Joanne's Starling is back as the other safety that he wasn't very happy with, with how his year went. And uh, I think most people are looking at at, at least two spots are open, uh, safety and, uh, and corner. And then the nickelback uh, uh, would probably, you know, you could, you could consider three spots open. So I think there's going to be some real lively uh, competition in the secondary. And, again, that's stuff that didn't happen last year for lots of reasons, transition, numbers, all that kind of stuff, uh, and, and I think you're going to see a lot of that in the spring. That may be the place you see the most uh, uh, just all-out competition will be in the secondary. Certainly an area to watch and an area that USC needs to improve on. And one of the, uh, the other areas we talked about with Harvey Hyde in the last segment, and I know we, I think Chris Gallipo was talking about it, and uh, when we talked to Joe Barry, the linebacker spots, uh, definitely looking for some improvement there. I think they know as a group – they underperformed and they made some mistakes and it seems like there's a different attitude going forward and I expect to see some more out of them in the spring. Yeah, and I think one of the, the difficult things, I think, uh, uh, as the year went on, I think people started to realize and Chris Galippo realized, you know, I'm feeling pretty good and I'm, I'm you know, my back isn't, you know, uh, the, the detriment that it has been and uh, I'm kind of working my way through this. But at the same time, <clears throat> as... Uh, Devin Kennard, when he was, I mean, he really didn't, you know, as much as as Joe said, uh, you know, I think he's got all the instincts. And actually, as much as he showed that he had some really good instincts in the spring, we really didn't see that in the fall. Some of it was, I think, they were really asking him to to play at a high level in terms of uh, what they were asking him to do in uh, in terms of, uh, you know, all the, the coverages and things like that for a guy who hadn't ever done it before. And then secondly, I think, as he learned and got experience, that hip started really bothering him. He couldn't practice much on it. Uh, according to they have, they've had three of those, uh, that, that hip cartilage surgery in the offseason, his was the worst. His, he had the most damage and, uh, you know, his ability to practice and then his ability to really perform in games, I think, was really limited the last six or seven games. So it was kind of a shame that, by the time he was starting to get some experience in terms of 
you know, I mean, they're asking that guy to, you know, to fill, you know, against the, um, you know, the inside, uh, you know, power play, and then they also wanting, you know, 30 yard deep middle. Uh, you know, you've got to have a lot of, you know, instincts to read that, and you got to have a lot of physical uh, ability. And and I think Devon ended up with neither of those last year, so it might not have been a fair, uh, you know, evaluation for him. But uh, and now he's not going to get to play in uh, in the spring. However, and you have to say this: he's there every single day, every single throwing session. He's, <clears throat> you know, monitoring the line of scrimmage, and he's in the middle of everything. He's talking to everybody. You couldn't ask for, you know, uh, you know, more of a buy-in than Devon Kennard uh, has, has, has brought to the program. He's a smart kid, uh, physically, uh, you know, gifted kid. Whether he's, uh, you know, your ideal middle linebacker, I think we'll find out. Uh, but uh, but that's uh, that's the position now. And, and will we find out that if he can do that, that, that allows them and that they have enough confidence in Chris Gallipo? That he can play enough plays and, uh, and 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 you know play one of the other linebackers. We'll see. Uh, uh, it would be nice to have those two uh, veterans. If you're maybe even thinking about bringing in a freshman to start at the uh, at the third uh, you know linebacker spot, you know a, a Lamar Dawson. Let's say if he's penciled in, let's say uh, it would be nice to be penciled in with two guys who who really uh, you know know how to play and know what they uh, what needs to be done. Um, and then maybe we shift to the defensive line a little bit and talk about what's going on there. I think one of the big stories, we, we might not see him, though, this spring, Christian Dupont coming back there. I think it's going to be a big part. He's going to be a big part of how they're going to try to replace Jarrell Casey, I think. Yeah, and I think he's, <clears throat> I think people remember him as a little bit undersized, and maybe he got, you know, I think the, we all look back to that uh, Oregon State game that cost them the national championship a few years ago, and they really picked on you know the, the the down tackles, and um, uh, you gotta like the fact that here he is coming off a knee injury, and he you know he bench pressed, uh, he did 35 bench presses, uh, uh, the best on the team, and would have been very high uh, if he were at uh, at the combine as well. Uh, you know, one of the really you know really good scores. He's also I was there one morning when he uh, he weighed himself, and he weighs right at 300 pounds, which is about what you would want him to be. So, uh, uh, and I like it that they're probably going to say, let's just not push it too far. He's a fifth year guy. You know, he was kind of a student coach last year. He knows what he's doing. He's a leader. Uh, he's a guy that gets him out on the field. When you see the uh, defensive linemen out there working by themselves, uh, it's with, uh, you know, uh, Chris uh, is the guy that's getting them, getting them out there. And so, uh, uh, yeah, I think it'll be fine without without him, and it'll probably give George Yuko a chance to do uh, a, a lot more and show what he can do. Uh, you know, at a, inside with all his uh, you know gift, you know physical ability to move and run, and his you know athleticism. Uh, so you got to look at it probably on the plus side, where it's going to give guys like that a, a chance to to show what they can do. And uh, I'm looking forward to. The, uh, George Uko being in the rotation, uh, uh, whatever it is, whoever it is, uh, he's going to be in there. And if it's a three-man rotation with uh, DeJon Harris, even because uh, there were you know games last year where they had a two-man rotation, and then that just wasn't enough. That's when you saw uh, you know uh, Jarrell Casey, obviously as he said of himself, gas. Uh, you know, when you had uh, basically uh, two guys sharing that spot, uh, that wasn't enough. So that at least gives them a three-man rotation and without any uh, idea of, of, of what's going to happen with, uh, with Armand, uh, you know, health-wise, position-wise, all that kind of thing. But, uh, and then you've got, you know, two legitimate starting defensive ends and Nick Perry, who it's amazing the difference when you see him completely healthy without that, you know, big uh, metal brace and that ankle, you know, on that high ankle sprain that he had to live with all last year. Uh, he looks like a different person. And then uh, we haven't seen, uh, other than in the weightlifting and uh, some of the drills, we haven't seen Wes Horton because he had some surgery on, uh, you know, kind of the foot ankle area uh, to clean some stuff up. But uh, but uh, that gives you two pretty good you know, outside, you know, rush guys who can get pressure on the quarterback without, you know, having to blitz. Uh, so uh, 
then we're going to see Kevin Green. I mean, he looks like the prototype, 260 pounds, and he just looks like if you were using a model for an Under Armour ad or something like that, you pick Kevin Green. I mean, he just uh, – and he's talking about, you know, it's time. I you know, maybe you know, didn't have a lot of – didn't play a lot in high school, but it's time. I've got to, you know, show up and show what I can do and, and you know, not – act like I don't know what I'm doing out there and that. So it'd be interesting. He'll be an interesting one to watch uh, this spring, uh, Kevin Greenwell. He's so gifted physically. He is. He's a he's a definitely good-looking specimen. And uh, speaking of, of that, I wanted to get to this. We're not having Gerard Martinez on this week because it's all kind of about spring football preview and stuff. So we'll get Gerard and talk about him next week. But we got a ton of questions this week. Uh, we had a voicemail question. Uh, Pat wrote in, Kevin, Jim. Um, and Steve all wrote in about uh, Delvon Simmons uh, from McKeesport, Pennsylvania, the, the four-star defensive tackle who signed with the University of North Carolina. There was reports that um, he was released from that uh, letter of intent and that he might come to play for Lane Kiffin and the USC Trojans, which would give uh, USC yet another defensive lineman in the class of uh, 2011. Just what we, uh, we did an update. Uh, Brian Matthews, our Brian Matthews, did an update uh, a week or so ago on that. And we've been talking to uh, our friends over at the Texas Tech Rivals site. They've been in good contact. And we've all been trying to piece this story together. I'll give you the latest of what we have uh, on that, on Simmons. Um, they've been talking to his coach at McKeesport and over the weekend. And so far, he said there really wasn't any change That's as of yesterday. They still have not received anything official from North Carolina indicating that Simmons has been released. So it's it doesn't look like he's officially been released, and uh, there's a lot of things going on with the NCAA in North Carolina, so there could be some delays and all that. But what we are definitely hearing it's down between Texas Tech uh, or USC. So um, you know, it's still unclear how strongly USC is going to try to push for him. It's still unclear if he'll be released, um, even though the reports have come out and said that he was. So there's still a lot of things up in the air there. And uh, I mean, I, I you know I think USC could use a big body like that in the middle. You know, you said Dan that there's a lot of defensive ends on the team, not as much as depth in the defensive tackle as you would kind of like. And he's a guy that that could come in and and help with the depth issues. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they did better than than you could almost have expected uh, with uh, defensive linemen coming in, but they they're kind of, um, um, I guess undersized maybe or, or multiple position guys or whatever, or, uh, you know, guys to grow into the spot where he wouldn't need to be that guy. He's, he's at that spot. My, my thinking right now with this, the class and where USC is and, and with all the things going on, that if he really, really, really wants to come to USC, if he recruits USC at this point, then I think you take him. I'm not sure it's the situation where you really go out and and knock the door down to getting. I mean, that would be just my total outsider's take on on that one. Where if he really, you know, makes the you know the effort and says, look, you know, that probably wasn't a good fit anyway. And the more I look at it, USC is uh, is clearly the place I want to be. Then I have a different look as to whether if it's a flip a coin between USC and Texas Tech. And then I might just say, well, uh, you you make the call, uh, but that's just me. Well, uh, I mean, it's true. I don't it's know tough. All the, Dan, I don't with know the appeal- all the ins and outs, but, uh, I, but I, if he really, really wants to come, then I guess you have to take a hard look at uh, uh, you know making it happen. Well, with the appeal still pending, and you're not knowing how many scholarships are going to be available, you make a great point, Dan. That any guy that's questionable makes them you know, even more questionable in USC's eyes when you're trying to recruit a kid because, you know, he signs with North Carolina, doesn't, you know, his coach is gone, wants to sign somewhere else. I mean, it just brings up maybe not a red flag, but some questions. And whenever you have a kid that's questionable, going forward because of the limited scholarships, you can't afford to have a guy that's going to, you know, sit around for a year in red shirt and then not be happy and want to transfer. I mean, it's just going to really hurt USC recruiting going forward. And, you know, even with uh, uh, Chantrell Henderson, Miami picks him up after 
he signed with USC and now he's getting in trouble. So there's, I mean, that's a kind of guy that, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to get in trouble because you wanted to get out of your letter of intent, but it does bring up some questions and it's harder for USC to take any guys that have questions right now than it was maybe a couple of years ago. Well, and the other thing is, I think you always have a stricter uh, uh, scrutiny for uh, cross-country uh, uh, signees. I, I just think you have to be, I mean, I think of uh, Keith Rivers. There's the, that's the, the cross-country signee you want. When you get a cross-country signee, you want him to be Keith Rivers. You know, you want him to be so locked in. This is where I want to go. You know, this is the place for me. No other place, you know. But that's the guy you want. I think that's the ideal. And uh, I think there becomes a, a necessity for stricter scrutiny when it is a cross-country uh, uh, recruit as well because it is easier to get unhappy uh, with your situation if you're a cross-country guy and all of that. So, uh, so, and it, so none of us are going to probably be privy to any of those kinds of, you know, sitting down with Stelvon and, and, and just seeing where he is and, and what is he thinking. And, uh, you know, uh, what's he think of USC? And, and how does he, you know, how, what's his comfort level? And what's his, you know, desire after leaving North Carolina, you know, to come to USC? Uh, so I, I don't think it's the same kind of recruiting situation at this point. I think it's a different kind of a, <clears throat> where where you'd almost like to see the player recruit USC rather than vice versa. That'd that'd be my take. Okay. And then one last thing, Dan. We we didn't get to talk about special teams. That was the first preview you put up there. We're gonna see some new faces for sure. Uh special teams. And I think Andre Hidari gave us a maybe a little bit of a glimpse of what things could be like and he nailed some some really long field goals at one of these last uh, winter workouts, but maybe give a, a quick preview of what's going on with special teams. Yeah, I mean, you do get the sense when you're around him that uh, that you're watching some NFL guy. I mean, he's got that he's got that kicker's mentality. I mean, they're different. They're not your normal football player. There's a confidence level about him I don't think I've ever seen. With uh, I mean, USC's had some interesting uh, athletic kickers. Uh, you know, uh, Tom Malone as a punter. Uh, Obviously, uh, 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 I'm trying to think of our guy at the Cowboys, uh, whose name I always want to pronounce uh, differently, a dealer. Uh, but uh, uh, and he was confident more as a football player. What Andre Hadari is, he's just this unbelievably confident kicker who's so technique. Uh, you know, he's got total technique. Uh, I mean, the other day, basically, it's like watching a pro on a driving range. I mean, a real PGA, you know, tour pro, just hitting the ball, and he just said, I was just, you know, hitting it for accuracy, and all of a sudden he realizes, or we realize, he's kicking him from 51 yards out, you know, and he kicked seven straight. And he, he really wasn't going for distance, and he took it back to 60, and, um, and the wind picked up, and uh, he, he didn't nail either the 60-yarders. But... uh He's a different breed of uh, a field goal kicker than uh, than you've seen uh, at USC, uh, maybe maybe ever. Uh, uh, haven't, we haven't seen the putter yet, Chris Alvarado. Uh, uh, we also uh, so you know I've seen video of him, uh, you know, and then we have uh, have seen our new snapper uh, Peter McBride. Now whether they'll go now they've got two uh, snappers on scholarship and they could go with Chris Poussin as the uh, short snapper uh, and then uh, uh, with Peter McBride uh, as the long snapper I mean he gets the ball back so fa- I mean I'm not sure Matt Barkley you know could get it back any faster you know standing there and throwing it uh, it just comes back like a you know like a bazooka I mean it's just amazing. Uh, his technique. Then uh, there's always a chance. I know people have said, well, maybe you redshirt him and that, that senior Chris uh, Passange both. Uh, my guess would be uh, you'll see McBride as a long snapper on punts and you'll see uh, uh, Chris Passan as a uh, uh, short snapper uh, for field goals and, and extra points. But just a guess. I know McBride is working really hard on, on I mean, he, he kind of has to cut down his short snaps. I mean, you can hardly catch him. Uh, it you know seven yards back, uh, and then we're 
you know, different guys are auditioning for kind of the Miss Mustaine role, which is a key role at USC uh, with the, uh, you know, the run pass, uh, you know, kick option and all that kind of thing that they're doing with uh, Coach Baxter's extra points. So that's a key, actually a key position. And you've got, you know, different ways to go. Do you go with a backup quarterback, Do you, you know, who already throws the ball? Do you go with Dylan Baxter because he can throw the ball? He can also run it in. Uh, he hadn't even thought about it. I was talking to him a few weeks ago, and he said, wow, that's a good idea. <laughs> Maybe I'll try it. <laughs> Maybe I'll try that. And, and then you got a John Manugian who is just the most solid, smart, uh, hard worker, can throw the heck out of the ball, make right, make good decisions and all that. So it would be interesting to watch how they, uh, you know, what direction they go. Uh, you know, Robbie Boyer, I guess, was the backup last year, uh, a wide receiver with good hands. It'd be very interesting to see uh, how they fill that role, but uh, uh, you know. And then I guess uh, the one other development in, in, in special teams is uh, how much do they go with uh, with Robert Woods as as the return man, but as a kickoff return where he set the USC you know records last year, and do they give him uh, the uh, punt return responsibilities as well? Uh, I know they're thinking about it, talking about it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that develops and who else, uh, uh, you know, uh, develops as uh, as potential, uh, you know, pun return guys with him. Right. All right. Well, Dan, a lot of great stuff. Spring preview. We get to finally start spring football tomorrow. It seems like it's been forever since that game against UCLA, but it'll be fun to see the guys out there in jerseys and pads and playing around and uh, we'll get all the reports from for on uscfootball.com of course and spring football central so everyone else check that out and dan thanks again for joining us and all the great insight thank you uh, ryan we'll see you uh, bright and early bright and early tomorrow everyone else we'll be back Bring on your the Parist- okay yeah we'll be yeah. back on the peristyle podcast <laughs> next week thanks for tuning in You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 